0: Hello, friends. Thanks for being here. It is wonderful to be back hosting wasn't that special 50 years of SNL very quickly before our special guest today. I'll remind our new listeners, you can join us at wasn't that special.com. Christian and I are watching every single episode of SNL through all what will soon be 50 years and then reporting back to you analyzing discussing what went right what went wrong who shined, who didn't, the hosts who were great, the hosts who were not, and everything in between. We present it to you in podcast form every other week. Currently on season 17, that's been released. You can find that and everything prior at wasn'tthatspecial.com. If you do sign up, you can hear everything do it on a monthly basis, save some money on an annual basis, or become an executive producer. You can find all the details about those tiers at wasn'tthatspecial.com. That's wasn'tthatspecial.com. And join us on X, formerly Twitter, at 50 Years of SNL. Today, a very special episode. A special guest is with us. We know sometimes just Christian and, and I talking can get a little. Uh, certainly not boring, but re- repetitive. So we have a new voice. We have a new voice to add, and someone who is far more knowledgeable about the show than we could ever be. Uh, I don't
1: know about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll find out. We'll ask some questions today. It is our privilege and pleasure. We are so happy to talk with Victoria Jackson, six year vet of SNL. You know her. You likely love her. We're going to talk uh, in depth about a whole lot today about her time on the show and even some of her time off the show. And I want to make sure we mention right at the beginning that people can find you online at victoriajackson.com. And we'll discuss a bit later, but there's a brand new album that you have, When I Get to Nashville. Some songs that you've recorded since moving to Nashville 11 years ago. We'll ask a bit more about that later, but people can find more at victoriajackson.com. .com Victoria thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. It's quite an honor. And uh hello Christian, hello Scott.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm as excited to meet you as you were to meet Alec Baldwin. So <laughs> that's a, that's a very famous story that uh your your co-stars uh co-cast members like to tell that uh Every time Alec Baldwin came onto the show, that you would go up to Dana Carvey and say, "I'm not going to do it this time. I am not going to fall in love with Alec Baldwin." And yet, every time he was on, you would.
1: Okay. Okay. Hold on. (laughs) That is Dana Carvey's story. That is not my story.
2: Okay. I have no. You can contest it.
1: (laughs) I have no memory of that. I I I did have to kiss Alec Baldwin like a lot because the (laughs) time he was the host, I. Was in a couple sketches where I had to kiss him. So I felt close to him, but but I like I did not love him. I did not say I'm not gonna fall in. Love. That's Dana's <laughs> twisted weird memory. I all my story is in my book. My book called Is My Bow Too Big? It's right over here somewhere. And my story is that. Alec was sitting next to me on the set, and he asked me why my boobs were so big. Okay, that's rude, Yeah, and it's caustic, and it's inappropriate. And um, I was um, being polite and nervous, and he was the host, and I started to answer him uh because he was in maybe inferring I got breast implants or something. So I went into my lifelong story of my boobs. Uh, starting at age 10, uh, my gymnastic career, which halted my development, um, because when you're a gymnast and you're underweight and you're working out five hours a day, it um, stops puberty from coming. And I didn't get into puberty till I was 21. Anyway, I went into my, started my whole saga. He didn't want to hear. (laughs) I didn't know if he was flirting with me or if he was being mean. It was kind of a mixture. And, and, and then I wanted to finish my saga to defend myself against his mean comment. And, um never really got to, but in my book, I wrote that I thought that was mean and rude of him. And I think he heard about that. And ever since, Alec's been mean to me, but that's probably because our political views are opposite. And I've also said that when he does an impression of Trump, he has hatred inside of him. It's not just comedy, it's like hatred. And so he probably read that and So then when Alec was on, Lie on the Wall podcast with Dana Carvey, Mm -hmm. he said, Victoria Jackson, her breasts look like garbage cans. And I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't even understand what that means. A garbage can, I I don't, it sounds mean. I don't know what it means. And so then I called Dana and I'm like, how could you let Alec talk about me like that? What? garbage cans i was actually at the dentist and i was screaming into the phone what does that mean my breasts look like garbage cans and my poor dentist was in the other room with some patient <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> anyway long story short dana's uh recollection is not i don't think it's accurate and
2: okay so aside from alec baldwin you were on with a lot of male stars are there any that really uh that you were starstruck by. I mean, you got to kiss a lot of them too. You got to kiss uh Sean Penn while he was married to Madonna uh, and others. So who are, who are some of the ones that you were like really excited to meet?
1: Well, we got used to meeting celebrities cause we, you know, for six years, like every week we were meeting them. So it didn't get, it wasn't, we weren't very awestruck except I do remember when Mel Gibson was the host, yeah. that there was an aura about him that I just, um, it was like, I could feel that I, it was an aura. It was some kind of like a charisma or a movie star aura. And I wasn't impressed by anybody. So I was like, wow, why am I feeling that when I'm around him? Um, and I was impressed with Steve Martin because I was a fan. So I was intimidated Uh in the sketch with him. He actually asked my comic advice and I was like, Steve Martin is asking my comedy <laughs> opinion. <laughs> he, he said, should I crawl out of the, the sketch, the slide whistle sketch? Yep. Yep. He's like, should I walk out on my knees? And I was like, I guess. So he'd look short, but, um, I was like, I I, I, I don't know. And uh, so I was intimidated by him, but he was very serious. You know, he wasn't like super warm and cuddly. He was kind of serious about the comedy, like as if it was plastic surgery.
0: (laughs) I want to ask about the beginning of your time on SNL Victoria, because you joined the show at, at a time when it was not Nothing was certain, right? It was season 11 had not gone the way Lauren wanted. And season 12 is, uh, you know, Dana arrives and you arrive and Phil Hartman arrives and Jan Hooks arrives on the show. Did you understand the situation the show was in when you began uh, on season 12? I guess uh, NBC only ordered 10 episodes, like a half season of the show. Did you guys know what you were getting into when you started on SNL?
1: Not really. Uh, We were all just trying not to get fired one day at a time. And I was an out-of-work actress who went from acting job to acting job, hoping there would be another one. And I always kind of thought of my acting jobs as a fluke, um, kind of a gamble of a career. We were being always compared to the first cast, the 75 to 80 cast. Mm -hmm. And so we were always like, well... We're never going to be the original cast, so, you know, lighten up. We also were aware that the season before us, Lauren had fired a lot of people. So we knew that we could be fired at any minute. Our contract protected them, but not us. It said that we were not allowed to leave um, for five years, Uh, but they were allowed to fire us. So in other words, if we got real famous and got lots of movie offers, we were not allowed to leave, but they could get rid of us anytime. So yeah, we didn't really, we weren't dwelling on all of that. We were just trying to think of ideas and get airtime because we were competing against each other for airtime and try not to be fired.
0: Early on in, in the first season that you're on the show, there's this really neat, uh sh- it's a shorter sketch. You and, and Kevin Nealon, and Kevin's an agent, and, and you walk in and you're you're trying out for a part, and he's on a phone, and he has all these hand movements that you're misinterpreting. You think he wants she he wants you to spit around and and then eventually you jump out the window at the end of the sketch. <laughs> it's such a fun sketch, and it shows yeah. you know your your ability at at physical comedy. And I feel Christian and I both feel this way, and it's not just because you're a guest at our show that watching back through those seasons, your your contributions are really underrated. And I, I think one of the reasons you fit so well is you, your, your attitude, your style sort of fit with some of the more, um, kind of esoteric comedic minds in the writer's room. Like Jack Handy would have this really out there kind of stuff and you, you kind of fit that. Do you, th- did you feel like you uh, even if you weren't the big star, that your your style, your brand of comedy was just in line with what the show was trying to do at that time.
1: What a great question! I felt like I was underused, um, especially the last couple of years. Um, i always felt like I was underused, but I felt like I got some great moments. And I think my best moments were written by Jack Handy, Jim Downey, and Al Franken. uh, The Desert Island with Paul Simon. The Jumping Out the Window was written by Kevin Nealon. (laughs) And that's like, I'm so glad you brought it up. That's like my favorite, one of my favorite all-time sketches. And yes, it was kind of under the radar, but um, Kevin, it I was the perfect person to play that. And same as the Paul Simon on the Island. Yes. Um, Like some of those Harvard geniuses like Jim Downey, if they focused on me, they could really write something that was perfect for my essence. But they they didn't have time because they were writing for, you know, lots of other cast members and mostly not for cast members, but just for trying to think of great ideas for comedy ideas. But um, I love that flying out the window sketch and I. I was a gymnast, so I was good at physical comedy and I wish I could have done more of it. But um, I wanted to tell you at the rehearsals, every time I flew out the window, it was perfect. But on the live air show, my back hit the hit the wrong spot of the window and I couldn't flip out easily and hit the mattress on the other side. I um, I kind of my back hit too low and I had to force myself over with my feet. It was like clunky. And I was like, no, because, oh man, I flew out the window all the other times, but that was so much fun.
2: So like Scott said, when we first started watching you, um, we noticed right away that the physicality, and I figured that was probably because of the, of the gymnastics uh, and other things, but it seems like in a lot of a lot of modern media, they don't think as highly of your time on the show. And that may be because of politics or maybe because of any number of things. But um, like Rolling Stone had some list where you were pretty low. But as we watched the show, you were the yes, you were underused in points, but you were the dominant female on the show for a full six years. So it's impossible to say that you weren't one of the best uh, in that cast. Uh, so. How does it make you feel that you are not getting kind of the appreciation now that you that you should be?
1: Well, thanks. That's a good question. Rolling Stone is definitely hates me because I'm a Christian conservative. So there's no way they're going to put me high on a list. So I kind of think of that as a badge of honor. (laughs) Yeah, because I don't really line up with a lot of their values. Um, I think Jan Hooks was the best female cast member like of all time, except for Kristen Wiig, maybe. Yeah. Those two. Uh, Jan Hooks was so talented. She didn't know how to be herself, which I'm always myself. <laughs> she could become anyone, which is what acting really is. But she... Um, like, who was Jan Hooks? Who knows? But she could become, she could become Ivanka Trump and she could become Ivana Trump. She could become the uh, Marla Maples. She, there was like, she could be Betty Davis. She, uh, she was brilliant. And when she would play something, she had an extra level of some extra added layer. And I could never figure out what it was. Like if I was supposed to play a waitress flirting with a, Alec Baldwin in that, that sketch where she's at the diner. diner, Right. I would have just been like flirting with Alec, but she was like flirting with Alec with this underlying whole story. She was bringing to it of bitter, uh, jaded chain smoking weight. Like she brought so much (laughs) depth. I couldn't figure out how she did it. It was, it was, she was brilliant. But I do want to say thank you for noticing I was in the cast because even one time I went to Lauren's office and I had to wait an hour to talk to him because he's very busy you always have to wait an hour sat outside his office for an hour I come in and I go Lauren I don't know how to get more lines I I didn't have any lines last week uh I feel stupid in the goodnight bows because I'm bowing but I didn't do anything Uh, He goes, Victoria, you're a lot more, let me say, a lot more obvious than you think you are. (laughs) Uh, It's something like you are more on the show than you think you are or something. And then then I said, oh, Lauren says, did you bring food to the writers? And I was like, I didn't know if he was joking, (laughs) but I did get some food and bring it to some of the writers like, Hi, uh, could you write for me something anyway? um so, to answer your question, uh, I think the articles that minimize my contribution are because of ulterior motives. It's they they probably don't like my Christian
2: conservativeness, so so, as we watch these, you know, we pass notes back and forth and we say, Victoria seems like the the only female that's really fully integrated with the cast because um, you have Jan and you have Nora and they're off to the side doing Sweeney Sisters or they're off to the side they're kind of quarantined from the rest of the cast mm-hmm. uh, and it's it seemed like a lot you got a lot of the kind of the regular parts like you were more the writers seemed to like writing for you a lot more um, and that's just the impression you get from 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 watching it I mean you were. You were a female cast member number one in a lot of stuff. Um, So that's the impression that we got as as we were watching.
1: I never knew that. I never got that impression. But uh, the Sweeney sisters, I asked them, what are you working on? And they slammed the door in my face because I (laughs) thought that women's groups were always trios, like the McGuire sisters, the Andrew sisters. Like There was only three women in the cast when we joined, and I was thinking, why'd they leave me out? But... But, so I would write things for myself on the update desk because that's all I knew how to write was my point of view doing handstands. I didn't know what else to write um they they kind of ganged up on me, so that's why you always see them together and I think the writers used me a lot as the bimbo or the um dits uh very small parts, but in sketches, but I never thought I was used more than them. I thought I was used less, but yeah, it was um, very competitive. <laughs>
2: well, so in one of the books, uh, the the Miller Shales book, you're interviewed and you say that you actually went to Lauren and said, there's this woman, Jan Hooks, who's a great actress, and you should get her on the show. And so you helped her in that regard. And then later there's a quote almost right underneath it where Jan is like, uh, I never really liked Victoria. so what yeah what how did it make you feel to to see her say something like that after you helped her get on the show
1: well I did help her when I auditioned and he said I think he he said your audition was very funny but I think you're weak in characters and impressions and I and um then you know my whole story is I flew back home to LA, realized I was on Johnny Carson in two weeks, continued my audition for Lauren Michaels on Johnny Carson, did some impressions, made everyone laugh and got the job. But when I was being interviewed by Lauren that time, I said, oh, you want the best woman of, for impressions and characters, Jan Hooks. I just worked with her in um, the Half Hour Comedy Hour, my first, my second TV series, I think. And uh, there was a cast of us with Arsenio Hall, and she—I saw her talent. Um, well, she was. Uh, her and Nora were were very mean to me for the whole time we were there. And I remember calling my dad crying once, and I was like, "Dad, I'm afraid to drink my coffee at the read through because I'm afraid they put poison in it." He's like, "Oh, you <laughs> think they're plotting against you?" I'm like. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, there's, it was competitive. And so, you know, if I got a liner joke, you know, there's, there's jealousy. There Also, I was getting movie roles and I think they weren't. Mm-hmm. And I think that made them not like me, but also they, they weren't good on talk shows And I had already been on Johnny Carson many, many times. And because Jan didn't really know how to be herself, which is a great quality for an actress, as I already said. Uh, Yeah, I was trying to learn how to do more characters and voices and impressions. And I I did get to do them. I learned how to do Roseanne and Zsa Zsa and I got to I got it was like comedy college there. But yeah, it, it hurt my feelings, but the, the boys were nice to me. <laughs> Dana Carvey, John Lovens, and Kevin Nealon were very nice to me. And they were on my other side of my office. So I would hang out in Kevin's office and they would try to, and they would be trying to make each other laugh all day, and working on Hans and Franz or what have you, or the church lady. And I would be like there, laughing, and I would say like, "Please give me a part." And they did. They wrote me into Hans and Franz as Roseanne. They wrote <laughs> yes. me in. Kevin wrote me into the subliminal guy. My first sketch I was ever in. Yep. Kevin wrote me into the flying out the window thing. So they were. They made up for. The mean people, because they were super nice to me.
2: There's a famous uh, meeting, I guess, that took place where you had it out with everyone, and someone said you ended up standing on a chair and yelling. How did how did that come about, and what happened there? Okay,
1: well, this is how it happened because I'm very <laughs> kind. I never raise my voice. I never say <laughs> bad words. I never complain. I was trained as a Southern Baptist little girl you know, to try to be like Jesus all the time. And, you know, if they get slapped on the cheek, turn the other cheek, you know, if they ask for your coat, give them your, anyway, so I, I was always very quiet and kind. The story is what happened was Dinah Mina, she has <laughs> a funny cartoon name, but she was in charge of the talent and there was a lot of mm, conflict in the first couple of years that I was there. And so she called a meeting, all of the casts and we were all in this room, sitting on the floor, sitting on couches. And she said, okay, there's, we have a lot of tension and friction. Uh, how can we make it better? Anybody have any ideas? Nobody said a word. She goes, does anyone have anything to say of what's wrong? Why, why is there this negative negative and nobody said a word? I'm, I love honesty, you know, so nobody said a word. So she called on me, (laughs) Dynamina, M-I-N-O-T, called on me. She's like, Victoria, I'm like, and so I I stood on the couch. It was hard to stand on because it was mushy. Not a chair, it was a couch, because I wanted everyone to see and to hear me clearly. I, and I didn't want, so I, like, I go like, "You really want to know? I don't think you can handle the truth." You really want? You really want to know? So I stood up. I go, "Well, what's wrong with the cast is that Jan and Nora are." I think I said b i t c h e s to speak their language are biatches from hell. I said, hell. And I said, they because it felt like that, it felt like demonic. I go, and I said, and they are mean and they slam doors in people's faces and they don't cooperate and they say they won't be in a sketch. Like someone wrote one that they said, no, we're not going to be in that. Um, and they, um, backbite and they gossip and they backstab and <clears throat> and I said I think that's what's wrong with the show. And uh then I sat down. And there was oh before I finished Jan and Nora slowly stood up and walked out the door. <laughs> Nobody was defending them. They walked out and there was silence. And then I was like well, thanks a lot for, stand, for backing me up. And then Dana goes, he goes you didn't hear anyone disagree. And everyone <laughs> broke out in laughter. And that's how I remember it. But of course, you know, Nora says she called me names or something, but, but I would never call anyone names or, you know, and that's how I remember it. But it was such a funny moment because everyone agreed with me, <laughs> but they wouldn't say.
0: <coughs> you can, uh, you can find Victoria's recent work and information at victoriajackson.com, including the new album. When I get to Nashville, I want to ask a couple of questions about weekend update and your contributions on update. I think, I think you had songs, you had handstands. I have to tell you, I think that the best thing that you ever did on update was the uh, season 13 life of a coffee mug piece, which then moves into you lowering your voice, taking off your wig to show your real black hair and saying how tired you are of playing the bimbo. And you can't believe people are buying this character you're playing. And then you say, I'm going to do what I do best, which is insightful political commentary. And you do a poem about uh, Daniel Noriega's mustache. And it's, you're hilarious, but it's great because the audience has no idea how to react. You can tell watching back that there is at least a split second where they are thinking, wait a minute, this is real. She was faking it the whole time. It's a brilliant piece, I think, on update. So did you write that yourself? And then also, can you tell us a bit about how Update works, meaning especially for Dennis's run? Did Dennis run the desk? Did he have, did he maintain sort of a tone that he wanted on Update, those eight, 10 minutes per show? Did he end up deciding who would get those desk pieces? How do those get to the air?
1: Wow, great question. Okay, I did write that. I was kind of getting tired of being cast as a bimbo, but it was also part of the whole joke. Like Kevin Nealer once said that there was a meeting in Lauren's office and they all were talking about is Victoria Jackson really stupid or is she really smart pretending to be stupid? And they actually had a meeting about that. And I don't know the answer. So, <laughs> That's what makes it even more interesting. Oh, I have a joke in my act about it. And this is true. My dad took me to the University of Miami when I was 12 for an IQ test. And they wouldn't give us the score because they said it would affect our lives forever. (laughs) That's true. So anyway, I did write that. I might have had a little help but I did write the poems and I did write the concept. I probably wrote the whole thing. Um, did Dennis have control? Um, you know, I've always wondered, I think Dennis and whoever else was the, the guy, whether it was Norm or whoever, when I started, there was a guy named Herb Sargent, mm-hmm. very old guy, and he was in charge of update. And he had this office, you know, he was just in there looking at newspapers, seeing what's current news is, what events, what's current. And I remember him and Dennis Miller were always talking about Update. Now, I've always wondered, like, did Dennis write all the jokes on Update? No, he did get other people helping him, like they would give him ideas. I don't know what percent was his. I feel like it was mostly his ideas or jokes and herb would help now herb one time said to me victoria you're in the wall street journal and i was like what because i don't read the wall street journal (laughs) but he read all the newspapers of the day and he said yeah look they they mentioned you a 1987 year of the bimbo and it was uh commenting on my song i'm not a bimbo which i wrote um which the idea was given to me by Christine Zander, who put a People magazine on my desk and and Jessica Hahn said, I am not a bimbo, and then stripped for Playboy. So she goes, This would be perfect for you. And I thought, why isn't she writing it? She's the writer. But I quickly thought, I could write this and wrote made it a song and it was a big hit. But anyway, so I think Herb and Dennis would meet together. I think Dennis would make up most of the jokes, but people helped him. And um, we would all submit a little thing. Like everybody knew if you wanted airtime and you're having trouble getting airtime, write something for update. And, you know, so one week there might be four people like Nora might have submitted something as her French character. Um, I might have submitted. I'm not a bimbo. Someone else. Al Franken might have submitted something about Noriega or something. And then Herb and Lauren probably and the head writer, whether it's Al Franken or Jim Dine, they would pick, I think maybe Herb would pick which person one or two got to do the update little thing on the side. Um, Oh, the thing about the low voice, the funny thing is, so... I have been practicing lowering my voice since high school, because my speech teacher, who put on the play at Dade Christian, she would not let me be in the play because she said I talked like a baby to get attention. And I said, "Well, Miss Mullins, I, I'm sorry. I'm not talking like this on purpose. Teach me, speech teacher, how to talk lower." And she said to pretend like you're walking down a flight of stairs. So my whole life I was going, if I talk like I'm going downstairs, then I would talk like this. But how can I be myself if I'm talking? So I've been practicing. And then one day I discovered
2: I could talk like that.
1: (laughs) And um, so I was thinking, how can I use that funny low voice in the show So I thought of that update idea. And then uh, the funniest part is after I did it, my dad called me and he goes, Vicky, that was so scary because I thought maybe that's the real you. (laughs) And you've been fooling your parents your whole life. And I was like, yeah.
0: (laughs) He was just like the audience.
1: And Lord, yeah, and Lauren's idea was to take off the brown wig and have the blonde under it and finish with the blonde. That was his note, and he's so smart. I was just going to do take off the blonde. I'm really a brunette who's serious. But then Lauren goes, no, the audience is going to want you to take off the brown and be back to yourself. So that was his note.
2: Right. Looked like he had the brown one clipped on so tight, though, because he had to take the blonde one off and then <laughs> that you couldn't, was, get the, you couldn't get the brown one off.
1: It was hard with all the clips and stuff, <laughs> you know?
2: I think a lot of people will probably wonder just the most basic question of all, which is what is it like being in an SNL skit? Like, what are you, what are you thinking about? Are you, can you hear the audience if they're laughing or are you just so locked in on what you have to say or reading the cue cards or what the other actor is doing? Or like, what, is it, what are you thinking about while you're in the middle of a sketch?
1: Such great questions! <laughs> you are totally focused. Like, I didn't have that many lines, so I memorized mine. But Phil Hartman had—he was in like twelve sketches, and he—he's so professional. He memorized his too, pretty much. But we had cue cards under each camera. So if there's three cameras, cue cards there, cue cards there, cue cards there. When the red light goes on, um you know that camera's on. So if it's pointing at me and the red light is on and I'm supposed to say my line, by the way, people think we just ad-lib. No, no, no. That would be a mess. That would be chaos. Yeah. So you can't really ad-lib because it's it's like this. So So the red light's on, it's on me. I know it's my line. So I am thinking I'm supposed to be talking to her there's my cue card. If I forget my line, the camera's on me. And so I'd go like, no, I don't So I was trying to not look at the cue card, except on update, you're right in front of the camera. And it's right. teleprompter. You can stare at your lines so easy, but um, yeah, you're, I don't, I don't really hear the audience. I don't really think about millions of people are watching. Not at all. I'm just focused on staying in my character, not breaking character because that's not professional. Some people did do it, but when we started, Lauren said, "That's Carol, that's Carol Burnett. We don't break." (laughs) And I agreed with them. I love (laughs) when people don't break character. I think it's amateur when they break character, and it's, it's. What's the word when you're doing it for yourself? It's fun for you. Uh, yeah. There's a word for that.
2: Um, well, Phil never broke character. And Dana only did in massive head wound, Harry, when the dog started eating his brains. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you guys did your research. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so you're focused. You're totally focused. When I first started doing characters, I said, "I said Dana, uh, I'm. I was doing Roseanne. I had a fat suit on. I was trying to talk like Roseanne. I had a brown wig on. And it was like my first impression that I'd ever done on the air. And I said, Dana, what if I start talking like myself in the middle of it? He goes, "Cop an attitude. Cop an attitude." And I was like, "What does that mean? Cop an attitude." So I guess it's just like, you just become that, you know? So, yeah, so you're focused. Maybe out of the background, I could hear the audience. I could tell if they were, you can feel if they're liking, you can feel if they're applauding or laughing. You can feel it, but you're focused on your lines and you're staying in character. Oh, what's it like? So like, so, like lots of adrenaline, lots of waiting around. It's hard to wait around when you have adrenaline, you know? <laughs> uh, sometimes they would cut your sketch in between dress and air. So, you'd have all this adrenaline and nowhere to put it because your sketch got cut. Yeah. So, you're like, it's like the show ends at one in the morning, the party ends at two or three in the morning. You drive home, you have tons of adrenaline, nowhere to put it. <laughs> Had a
0: Lovett said he used to go get a big a big, giant piece of chocolate cake, which is why he ended up putting on so much weight during the course of the show.
1: <laughs> he did not do drugs or drink or smoke. And I used wine to calm down. And I do not recommend it. But I thought that that I didn't have a guilty conscience because Jesus drank wine. <laughs> and just turned water into wine. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: you know. Let me, I wanna um, yeah. Yeah. ask I want to ask about your songs. So you you mentioned I Am Not a Bimbo, which was a, a weekend update piece. Uh, but you also did songs that were not part of Update, that were just, you know, in, in a place where a sketch would be. There was a great one called Draw the Line from season 15. Uh back on Update, you did I Love a Cop in, I believe, your final season in 17. Um and then in your very first season, what the heck, how did you get to sing a song with Willie Nelson and have Willie Nelson sing your song, which by the way, is a fantastic song. It's my Boyfriend favorite. Song. It's so adorable. It's incredible. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Well, I was singing songs because I did not know how to write a sketch or a character. And my whole time there, I was trying to figure out how to do it. It was like, how do you make up the liar? How do you make up the church lady? Should I be someone talking like that? Like, I'm like, how do you? Because I didn't have any training at the Groundlings or Second City. And so when uh, there was a writer strike, I actually enrolled in the Groundlings beginner <laughs> class as an SNL cast member. <laughs> because I really wanted to crack the nut on this thing. Like, how do you do this show? So I wrote songs <clears throat> just because I didn't, because I've been writing songs on my ukulele since I was 10. And um, I did them in my standup act. I did them on Johnny Carson. I thought, well, so I submitted my boyfriend's song, Uh, when, when Willie Nelson was the host and the Sweeney sisters also had a sketch where they were singing with Willie. And I knew Lauren wouldn't have a woman singing with Willie and another sketch with a woman singing with Willie. And we all knew that he was going to have to choose between me or them. (laughs) And they didn't tell us until the show had already started. And we both were in, we're all in our costumes And like one minute before they go, and it's Victoria. I'm like, okay. So I rushed out on the stage and I'm like, they picked picked me. And um, Willie had not even rehearsed. He was kind of looking at the cue cards. He, he winged it and he's so charming. He pulled it off, but, um, but that's why I was singing the songs, uh, I've, I've written them my whole life. I've noticed that whenever something hurts me, I write a song about it. Usually it has a solution at the end for my pain. what uh, You were mentioning my new album. I just found there it. There it is. This is uh, 18 songs that I've written since I moved to Nashville 11 years ago. And um, now on my website, victoriajackson.com, I have like my songs from my youth, and SNL and Johnny and then these are my recent ones mostly about uh, marriage challenges like how do you undo i do oh yeah and um and my children and anyway and then there's stand up at the end of it so you can buy it on Amazon or stream or whatever
0: stream it on Amazon or buy it right from your website which is victoriajackson.com Amazon or my
1: website yeah, yeah. but anyway I wanted to tell you something. Oh, I wanted to tell you this. So for 30, I left the show in 92. How many years has it been since that? 40? Yeah, the 50th reunion is like 40 years.
0: 30. 32? Okay. 30. 32.
1: Okay. Yep. Oh, 32 years since I left the show. I've been trying to figure out how to do character. And I also. And I came up with Harriet. My name's Harriet. I'm a blue-blooded lover from my head to my toes. Anyway, so I came up with that, but I actually stole it from my friend Fran, who was making fun of her husband's new wife, Harriet. <laughs> no, her ex-husband's her ex- new wife, Harriet. So I said, Fran, can I can I steal that? Can I pay you $50 to deliver? <laughs> anyway, um, so... What I want to tell you was for 40 years, 30 years, I've been trying to figure out what SNL was. And I figured it out. I figured it out. In 75, when it was created by Lorne Michaels, TV was new. TV was this new thing. It had news. It had game shows. It had soap operas. And it had commercials. And talk shows. Mm -hmm. And I kept being on the show thinking, why do they keep doing talk shows? Why do they keep doing game shows? Why do they have the news? And why do they make fun of commercials? And then recently, I was like... When Lorne came in as the rebellious hippies, the pot-smoking wild hippies have invaded NBC. They were making fun of television. They were making fun of the news. They were making fun of commercials. They were making fun of game shows. They were making fun of talk shows. They were making fun of television, which took itself seriously and was like, you know, leave it to Bieber and everything. (laughs) Now it's way past that. We've way gone past pushing the envelope on what's appropriate and what's moral. We're way past that. But in 75 to 80, the original cast, they were the wild hoodlums (laughs) running the halls and, and being with the rebels and... Isn't that
0: a, am I correct? Yes. yeah.
2: I, I think that's perfectly. I, right. I yeah. think.
0: I think even Lauren at some point had said, you know, he wanted the show to be designed specifically for the generation that grew up on TV. So to your point, it's the generation that saw the news right next to soap operas and commercials and buy it now and all those things that you talk about. That's a it's a good insight.
1: But you see, I didn't have a television when I grew up. And so that's why I might have seemed esoteric because what does esoteric mean again? (laughs) I might have seemed an alternative because I did not grow up with the television generation being brainwashed to think and dress and act exactly like they do.
2: Well, that's interesting. We've, uh, when you first started on the show, we found out, we found a clipping. Apparently, some, uh, reporter went and talked to your parents right after your first show, uh, talked to Jim and Marlene, and, uh, they were both very, very proud of you. Uh, this, this was right after your first show. Your dad, though, was like, Uh, it'd be nice if she was on maybe a little more wholesome show. Like he literally said, I I wish she was on new heart. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
2: But yeah, they're, they're very proud of you, but that, that brings up something else. We, uh, we also talked to Siobhan Fallon and Mm -hmm. she brought up the Italian restaurant sketch, Il Cantori, and she said she refused to be in that because she's a prim, good, proper Catholic girl and she has a dad and all that stuff. You ended up in that sketch and probably the funniest part of it. Um, is there is there any sketch that you refuse to do that where they just crossed the line?
1: Let me tell you about that Cantori thing. It's so okay.
2: interesting.
1: Siobhan was like the only cast member woman I ever met who had a church background like yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. And I really loved that. It was like, oh, she loves God like I do. Uh and we're not we're in kind of a an edgy situation here the thing is we could turn down things and I turned down a sketch I told Lauren I don't think I can do it because I was supposed to pray in the middle of it and I thought prayer was really talking to God and I thought it was blasphemous and I said if I pray in the middle of this sketch I will either start crying or I think I'll be struck by lightning because uh, <laughs> I I, sh- I shouldn't do that Okay, so I turned down things that I thought were immoral. <clears throat> the El Cantore thing was the weirdest situation. What happened was when I gave my speech on the couch about Jan and Nora, they had just turned down a sketch that had women with big butts because they said it was the feminist movement would not like that. And I thought, and I remember saying, I'll, be, I'll wear a big butt costume because <laughs> I always had a flat butt. And I always wished I had a butt, you know? I was like, who cares if you have a big butt? Or you know, I don't think that's offensive to make fun of women with big butts. So anyway, they never did the big butt sketch because Jan and Nora said, no, that's anti-feminism. And I, thought, so, so picture I'm there, you know, I already was thinking you shouldn't turn down that. I, yeah, I'll turn down praying, Okay, so, and plus I always had my my butt in the air doing handstands, <laughs> which I thought was not very Christian, but I was raised as a gymnast since I was born in a leotard, which is naked, doing handstands. And my dad was my coach. So I never thought of it as sexual or dirty. You know, I knew other people were like, Ooh, but, um, you know, entertainment is, yeah. So anyway- Here's the Cantori thing. I'm backstage and I'm thinking, oh, I have one line in the show this week. And someone goes, Victoria, Victoria, um, somebody canceled a, a thing and we, we need you. We need you on the set. I'm like, huh, what? They go, we're going to add you. We're going to add you to the Cantori sketch. Well, I hadn't even seen it because I'm not in it. I hadn't paid any attention to it. Right. I didn't know Dana was going to be humping me with my legs in the air. I had no idea. It was like dress rehearsal. It was like right before dress rehearsal live and and they're like they want you to to be in the ca-. I'm like well, what, what do I have lines what what lines what are my lines? <laughs> and they they don't answer me. They push me on the <laughs> set they go lay on the table and put your legs in the air. And this is what <laughs> had turned down. And I'm like, "Oh, they probably thought I had good legs because everybody <laughs> thinks I have good legs because of gymnastics. You know, my parents said, "Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative." You know, my mom would encourage me to wear shorter skirts because that was my asset. You know, oh Vicky, you have thin hair. Oh Vicky, you have a thick waist. Oh, you have good legs. You know, so I'm like, oh okay. And they're like, lay on the table. I'm like, what? So I lay on the table. I don't even know what they're doing. Put my legs in the air. And Dana's like giggling and like humping sort of. And I'm like, oh. And then it was the air show. And to me, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I was like, well, I said, you know what? I was thinking in my head, nobody will know it's me because I don't have any lines I'm upside down (laughs) and you just see legs in the air. And, uh, I thought, and still by the time it was over with, I was like, I think I just did a very inappropriate
2: thing. (laughs) For the people at home who haven't, haven't seen the sketch, it's Kirstie Alley and Kevin Nealon are a couple. They go to an Italian restaurant where the wait staff is very, uh, affectionate, uh, affectionate. affectionate. Yes. (laughs) Right, Bella, Bella,
1: pizza. Bella. <laughs> pizza. <laughs> it
2: ends up yeah, with Rob and, Schneider and Adam Sandler essentially naked, uh, <laughs> serving them in the restaurant, and yeah, and the thing they just take it the over dinner. the
1: top. The ah, right. friendliness of Italian waiters, they just take it to the extreme. <laughs> and, and and so I didn't want to, I didn't want to back out of it right before a live show because that would be very, you know unprofessional. And um, anyway, I, you know, I didn't want to be like the Baptist prude who causes trouble, you know?
0: I don't know if you know this. Dana was just talking about this sketch on his show. And he said that between dress and the live show, the censors did come in. And, and like, I think they, the story was that they told Rob Schneider to tell Dana to don't do that. On the live show. Don't do the humping on the live show. And apparently Rob just, you know, forgot, I'm, I'm I, you know, intentionally didn't tell Dana not to do it. But there was a, at least an effort from the network to not have that reach the live show.
1: <laughs> and they probably were covering their own, you know, saying, we told them not right. to, but right. nobody really was that offended, <laughs> I don't think. no. I, I'm not even that offended because I get the joke. The joke is just taking it over the top. I mean, I was in the penis sketch where the joke <laughs> said the word penis 50 times. And I was like, Oh, this is so silly. Wait,
0: Christian counted. How many is it? Christian? How many was it? It was like 48 or something. 48. Like that. Yeah. Not not quite 50 times. The word was said. I think um, it lost in the song somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. It could be 50. I, d- I do want to ask about another sketch that, um, that struck me in in your last season. It was also the last season for Johnny Carson, uh, where you got your, your big break years earlier. And you're, you're in a sketch, which is Dana and, and Phil are doing Johnny Carson's last show. And you're the guest. And you're telling a story, which knowing a bit about you, was a true story. You you had gotten divorced from a fire eater and then were I think at that point might have might have been engaged already to to your husband who was a cop. And you're telling the yeah. story and Dana kind of stops as Johnny Carson and and he's mean to you. He's like get off the stage. Every time you come on, you do the same bit and he sort of whisks you off the stage in this last mm-hmm. tonight show bit. And that felt mean to me in and, and and perhaps it's because I knew that you were telling a real story, like you were, like you had weaved yourself into that sketch. And then for Dana as Johnny to kind of say, we don't like you. You're not funny. You do the same thing all the time. The high voice, get off this. I was, I don't know if I was surprised you, you did that or, or agreed to it, or did you feel that was mean to you? Did you feel that was too personal? Um,
1: it does seem mean. Um, I, I didn't feel offended. I was just so happy to be, have (laughs) airtime. Like, (laughs) oh, I'm in something this week. (laughs) Um, I thought it was more mean to Johnny Carson. And I think that he was offended by it and hurt. And Johnny never had me back on after that. So I think that he was hurt. And, um... Not that he would have had me on because it was his final ending time. He he hadn't had me on for a while near then. But um, I I th- thought of it more as we want to show the Victoria thing, acknowledging that she was a regular. Mm-hmm. But how do we get rid of her <laughs> so we can keep doing the sketch? Right. What's a good way to get her off so that someone else can come in the chair? So I thought of it more as Well, that's a funny twist. Johnny would never be mean to her. He's always nice to her. So I just thought of it as (laughs) them trying to figure out what to do with me to get on with the sketch. (laughs) Because the sketch wasn't about me. It was about Johnny or Arsenia or something.
2: There's a really interesting, really weird tidbit in uh, one of the books. Um, When you flew to New York to uh, audition for Saturday Night Live, Was there really a woman that auditioned fully nude before you?
1: Well, I heard the rumor when I was in the hallway.
2: (laughs) Seems like an odd (laughs) odd choice.
1: (laughs) Somebody said, that girl just stripped for her audition. (laughs) And I, I remember thinking, it doesn't matter how pretty you are naked for this show. That was pretty stupid of her.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you can't be naked on NBC. Um, So in the early 1990s, there's this weird season where um, some of the core cast, some of of your group, you know, Dana's still there. Phil is still there. I think Jan is still there. You're still there. But then they start moving in this whole new crop of people. uh, Farley, Rock, Schneider, um, David Spade, Sandler, you know, Julie Sweeney, all these people, what was that like to have, to, to you all still being there, but then having to kind of incorporate this whole new set of people at the time?
1: That's a great question. It was a very awkward time because our contract was five years. Lauren said I could stay as long as I want. That's what he told my agent, James Dixon at William Morris. But I said to James Dixon, but he's not, they're not using me and they got all these new people who have all these new ideas. I mean, after five years, I'm like, how many more ways can I do a handstand? How many more songs do I have? You know, uh, besides a low voice, what else, you know, we were even like the church lady and Hans and Franz were running out of like, how do we bring back the church? lady? how do we bring back? Because, you know, we, and we were tired, probably. I mean, I was the I lived on adrenaline for six years, but um, so when he was bringing new people in, I felt like it was insulting. Uh, I felt like it was kind of like, okay, we're thinking of getting rid of you guys. It was kind of because we we hit a stride, mm-hmm. like our past. You know, the first year we thought we might we would get fired. The second year we were like doing good, and like the newspapers are going, they're the best cast since the original, and the, and we were clicking. And so after five years, when he started to kind of bring in new people, it was like, but we were we we're clicking. And I remember when Mike Myers was new there, I was like, I was kind of like, well, we don't need him. <laughs> he was. He was probably thinking, you know, uh, sorry, I'm new. <laughs> sorry, I'm new, you know. Um, he was probably feeling like that. And then the the thing that personally affected me was when he brought in Siobhan, Ellen Clayhorn, and two blondes, Melanie, and the, uh, this other blonde. I was like, wait a minute. I'm still here. <laughs> well- I'm still here. Well, I don't have any lines. And now you're bringing in five women. I mean... We had three women fighting for lines. Why is there eight women fighting for... What is the thinking there?
0: Specifically, Victoria, Christian and I both separately as we take notes on these seasons. And when Julia Sweeney comes on, he and I both had the same reaction, which is Julia is taking roles that are perfect for Victoria. Uh, And so we're watching like, Victoria would be great in that, or Victoria would be great in that. And nothing against Julia, and maybe you couldn't do Pat, of course. But did... Was that going through your mind too like, oh, maybe I like this new person, but man, she is re- really similar in the type of roles that she can play on this show.
1: Yes, I was thinking that would be my role. But I also knew they were trying to give her things to do, and I know why they brought her on. Lauren brought her on cuz she had Pat. She was in second she was in the groundlings. Mm-hmm. Pat was a big hit and and Lauren wanted Pat. He, he didn't care about, you know, and so, yeah, she was doing things I could do, but she had Pat and he wanted that Pat. And he brought, uh, you know, Dana had church lady when he got hired mm-hmm. and Lovitz had the liar already. Yeah. So Lauren was just picking, Oh, that character would work on my show. That character would be a hit on my show. And then like with me, I guess everyone says, you are the character, huh? So Lauren probably said, oh, I can see her fitting in here. But, um, yeah, but Spade and Farley and <clears throat> David Spade, Chris Farley, and Rob Schneider, they came in as new, this new little clique, and we were the old clique. And they didn't really write anything for me. So, and they didn't really talk to me very much. So, they were always like in their little clique laughing and writing stuff for each other and I I was intimidated. I w- I wouldn't have gone up and said, "Will you please write me something?" I felt more comfortable with my old timers doing that, but <laughs> um they seemed to be more have more juvenile humor. Yeah. Uh, not as psychological or Harvard or deep, but more like, you know, put-put jokes and you know, big penis jokes, right? Is it just seeing more juvenile things? Um, but um, I was a huge fan of, uh, oh, Rob Schneider has been very sweet to me. He's he's on my, he's on my, uh, he does a cameo on my new CD, my music CD. He has a great singing voice. He's a very interesting person. He, he's very talented and, well, he's becoming a conservative now, but. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm i in touch with him a little bit now, but when he was the new guy, I didn't really have that much. Uh, we were in like two sketches together, a, a couple, but, um, and then I remember when Adam Sandler was new, his first thing was a commercial and I had to kiss him. Uh, and my little daughter got a crush on him.
2: And <laughs>
1: um, she was like four or something. Um, and Farley, of course, was in my all-time favorite sketch, the Chippendales
2: audition. So talk about that. We, yeah, we, we d- debated that uh, quite a bit, whether you have some people that say, well, this was the beginning of Chris's downfall because it made him feel bad about himself. Uh, no. others, others say, oh, the, Jim Downey, who wrote it said uh, the joke was that he like thinks that he's actually good. So where do you come down on that? What, uh. What do you think
1: about that? Oh, I love that sketch. Uh, Being a gymnast growing up, Mm. being told to lose five pounds every day of my life, 10 pounds every day. That sketch was brilliant. And Chris Farley was always using his weight for his humor. Uh, Way before that sketch, he was, you know, using it. I often think, could a woman do that? Could a woman be fat and, and, it seems like people feel sorry for a woman who's fat, but not for a man who's fat or something. Uh, I don't know. I know Todi Fields made fun of her weight maybe, but it doesn't seem the same. I don't know if a woman could be like, <laughs> you know, look at my fat jiggle when I, I, I don't know. But I thought the brilliance of Chris Farley, who's totally committed, the The innocent, ch- what I loved about it was the innocent, ch- The childlike innocence of thinking you could actually get the Chippendales job (laughs) was symbolic to me of innocence and hope when you haven't been beaten down and you're not bitter yet in life and you could think you can do anything it was i think that's a beautiful quality and he did it so well and he danced so well and he um you know i just love that sketch and i do not think for one second chris farley was embarrassed about it i i think chris farley could have been a leading man if he wasn't overweight because he was a great actor and uh yeah i thought that showed he was a great actor
2: yeah your last uh year on the show was his second season on the show and he was running into quite a bit of problems with alcohol at the time did you see any of that behind the scenes or not in the office or anything I
1: never saw anybody doing any drugs or alcohol the whole time I was there. I smelled marijuana two times coming out of some door, some crack in some office door. I I had a baby, so I, I always went home to mm. be with my baby. I never really, really hung out with anyone, mm-hmm. but um, I never saw Farley drunk or high that I could tell. And once, one week I said, where's Chris Farley? And nobody answered me. They're like, oh, I go, what? Like, they might have said he's in rehab, but I could, oh. I'm like, what? Where? What? And um, nobody told me anything. I, I didn't know anything that was going on.
0: Part of the specialness of SNL is the way it handles politics and political figures. Your time on the show, you weren't involved in a large amount of political sketches. There's a a few weekend update uh, desk pieces toward the end where you comment on something very complicated like tax rates. And then it turns out you have to admit you didn't actually write, write it yourself. But you do have a great Uh, Cold open with Phil, where you play a census worker and, and Reagan answers the door and he doesn't remember the answer to your questions, like how many people live in the house and are you married? Very funny. And then the very last season, you're in one of the best sketches of the year, which is the campaign 92 sketch where the Democratic candidates are vying not to go against George H. W. Bush because they think it's a suicide mission. Because at the point, at that point, Bush was so popular, no Democrat wanted to go against. And you're in that sketch playing Tipper Gore. You're there on behalf of your husband Al, and you have, I think, the best line of the whole sketch because someone asks, I think it's uh, the Bill Bradley or whoever's playing, playing Bill Bradley Nealon as, as Bill Bradley says, "Where is your husband tonight?" And because of course Al doesn't want the nomination, you say he's at a gay porno theater with our kids which is the, like a perfect line if you don't want your, yourself to be nominated by the Democratic caucus, I suppose. Um, so po- <laughs> politics...
1: Did I you? don't even remember that line or that sketch.
0: Well, you were great. Trust me. That's a great <laughs>
1: sketch. Because I, I had one line, so I wasn't worried about remembering it. <laughs> and I didn't have to learn an accent because she didn't have any striking accent of any kind. Yep. I have no memory of that. I, I wasn't used in the politics a lot because there was no blonde, right. squeaky-voiced <laughs> person on the political scene that I could... Do an impression of.
0: Did you wish that you would have? Do, do you wish that you would have been more the politi- more in the political sketches that perhaps you would have had the opportunity to play against Phil as Reagan more often, or against Dana as Bush more often, or Perot, or any of those political sketches?
1: Yes, I would have loved to be in any sketch. <laughs> I was so looking for lines. But um, the first time I went up to Smigel and I said, why don't I ever get to do any impressions and he said because you're nasal and i said well aren't there any celebrities who are nasal and, he, and then he said Roseanne barr and i said ah, and she talked like that and he goes yeah and and robert Smigel wrote me my first impression Roseanne barr which i listened to her voice all day and night that whole week got to do her got to do her with her yeah and 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 Chris Farley is Tom Arnold. that was super fun but but yeah, um, of course, I wish I could have been in the political sketches, but uh Jan Hooks, she's so talented, and she's you know, if there was a, a blonde character, she would have done it, and she would have probably done it way better than me
0: you mentioned you mentioned S- uh, you mentioned Smigel. I, I wanted to ask about the writers bit because you look back at that writing crew that you had during your time on the show and it's just all killer, no filler. All those writers are incredible from Franken, Davis, Downey, oh, Smigel, yeah. uh, Handy. Uh, go up and down that list. Um, um Ryan. Right, oh, no. Conan and Bob Odenkirk and, and just crazy. Okay, so not specifically for you, say, but but you know better than us who wrote each individual sketch perhaps. It, was there any writer, any of those writers specifically that you just enjoyed like everything they wrote? Like if it's a Smigel, you knew it was gonna be fantastic. Were there any writers that you connected that that layer of quality to? Wow.
1: No, I was always looking in the upper right hand corner to see if my name was in. <laughs> At we get this many scripts. And we would all quickly go through, is my name in any of them? So um, I never spent enough time studying, you know, which writer got whatever, more things on the But I will say there was a tall, skinny guy who wrote the Handy Off commercial where I go, meet me at five. (laughs) Dennis Miller. And remember, I had two extra fingers Yes, I had to um put handy off uh to make my two extra fingers go away Mm -hmm. like a wart
2: might be one of the best special effects on the show because it actually looked realistic
1: (laughs) it looked real it was so funny to me it was like my first year I was there like 86 or something and whoever wrote that I wish I could remember his name he was tall and skinny and quiet and I was so happy that he wrote me something that was perfect for me. And I can't remember his name, but I remember hoping he would write me something else. And and he didn't, I don't think. And then like uh, when whoever wrote the Paul Simon Island thing, you know, I was like, oh, they get me, they get me. But then they never wrote me another one. And then, Jack Handy, when he wrote "Deep Thoughts" by Jack Handy, he he had not done that yet. Um, what happened was, I was going around to the writers, going, "Anyone have any ideas for me?" And one of the, some of the writers said, "Hey, you know." Jack Candy has this thing called Deep Thoughts. I think he's writing a book about it. They said that would be perfect for you. You play in Airhead Dits, you know, you go on Update and go Deep Thoughts by Victoria Jackson and then just do one, you know, every week. And I was like, yes, that's perfect for me. So I got up the nerve and I knocked on his closed door and I go, hi, are you Jack Candy? Yes. Hi, some of the writers said you have this thing called Deep Thoughts and it would be really funny for me to do. And he went, Hmm. I don't think about it. Shut his door. And the next week he (laughs) submits deep thoughts by Jack Andy, not by Victoria Jackson. And then does it in a script instead of me saying them. I was like, oh, okay. So that could have, he could have given it to me, but he wanted to keep it for himself.
2: So. The reason you were so perfect in that Paul Simon, um, you know, stranded on a beach or on an island,
0: which I think was both that, of our favorite, that, that was our favorite sketch of that whole season, that season, uh, 12. Because
2: I, no offense, but just your whole persona is that it's, it's surprising that you would be able to make a watch band out of a, <laughs> out of a pigskin or something, um, Whereas if it was like somebody like Jan playing that, you could say, "Okay, I could see, I can see Jan yeah. probably fit, doing something like that." But because it's you, it's yeah. hilarious because it's it comes as a total surprise.
1: He, Paul Simon was making me a placement out of palm fronds, and I was making him a lawnmower and a watch by smelting the iron ore that I found on the island where we were deserted. That was so brilliant. Man, I, I, I think it might have been Al Franken or Jim Downey who wrote that. I wish I could say the right name because they, they deserve credit. But I think in writer world, they all know who mm. wrote what mm-hmm. in writer land.
2: <laughs> you yeah. mentioned uh, before the whole idea of recurring characters. And it seems to me, I have this theory that people remember the show, remember certain cast members because of their recurring characters, you know, Pat or uh any of Dana's, you know, church lady or whatever. Do you have regret that no writers ever wrote a recurring character for you? You had Roseanne, you who you did a couple times, but did you ever really want that one like recurring character you could do and be be known as? Yes. <laughs> I'm, yes still,
1: I'm still waiting. Jesus. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my recurring character. <laughs>
0: You were in a sketch that was a recurring character that I wanted to ask about, which is the very first uh, Mr. Short-Term Memory with Tom Hanks at the restaurant. And that sketch, that character is just perfection. And those sketches are just like clockwork in terms of the timing and Phil's mm-hmm. great. Phil plays off of Tom so well in those sketches. You're very good in that first sketch at the restaurant. So Hanks is is almost universally and rightfully acknowledged as being one of the great guest hosts of all time. And that sketch is a perfect example of why. As a cast member, what indications do you have that a host is going to be great, is going to get it, is going to fit in, is going to be wonderful pieces in these sketches, um, or or is not? (laughs) It's going to be a long week. How did you know, perhaps on Monday, Tuesday, when you meet... The, the, the host that week, if it's going to be a great week or if it's going to be a struggle?
1: Never entered my mind. Hmm. We're all thinking about, number one, ourselves, not getting fired. Do I have anything to do in the show? If the host is bad or good, we could care less because it doesn't affect our life at all. What we were thinking about was, oh, it's a guy, Maybe I'll be in more because I'm a girl
0: or, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, you know, um, oh, but I, you know, I wasn't, Toontz's was kind of right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I was perfect for the mother of Toontz's. So that was a nice little bone they yeah.
0: threw.
1: He gave me some really good moments. Those writers and says um, I did it with Steve Martin, and I also did it with Dana. Mm-hmm. So we, we, it was reoccurring, but I wasn't, you know, a character. It was just me. But yeah, we didn't think about the host. I mean,
2: even if that host was Stephen Segal, well,
1: <laughs> who's
2: widely known as the worst host of your era.
1: Yeah, oh, poor guy. I wonder what he's <laughs> feeling when people say that. Uh, uh, he hit on me, which I took as a compliment, oh. but was married, so I thought that
2: was <laughs> Just in his, his last podcast, Dana said he walked by his, uh, his dressing room, and uh, evidently there was a lady in there with Steven Seagal uh, during the week, so um, yeah. making noises, so...
1: Oh yeah, he was married to that beautiful woman who said, "Don't hate me because I'm beautiful." Remember Kelly LeBrock or something? Yeah, yes.
0: yeah.
1: Oh, when we saw her at the party, like what are you cheating on her. She's the prettiest woman in the world. But um, yeah, I don't have any ill feelings against him. I. I think people didn't like how he was arrogant, but we've had other hosts who were arrogant, maybe not. Maybe they were more quiet about their arrogance. But most of the hosts were were just great people because they're just uh, most professional stars. I I don't know. I think they're hardworking and uh, talented. And
2: I imagine uh, you have to have a little bit of arrogance to be a really a really great star
1: have to have confidence mm-hmm. you yeah. and if you can fake that <laughs>
0: <laughs> i want to uh, okay i asked earlier about dennis miller and weekend update and his stint on update is in- incredible um i think he's the best weekend update anchor in the show's history and you guys mm-hmm. really seem to have a fun relationship on screen we don't know what happens off screen but you know on screen it seemed that your personalities meshed well, and he enjoyed the the silliness and the fun that you brought with the songs and the handstands and, and the Christmas tree and uh, and the commentaries. And both of you, when I when I mentioned earlier, you know that 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 sort of attitude and comedic sense that just fit that era. Dennis had it too, but almost in a, in a complimentary way to to you. To to where maybe you were a little more uh, zany and goofy uh, Dennis was a little more serious with the news, but didn't take the news seriously.
1: Hmm. I think me and him had great chemistry on camera, but off camera, you know, there was not there was no nothing. I mean, mm. I used his phone once in his office and he got mad at me <laughs> and he apologized. And, um, I don't know. Off camera, I I don't know where he stands with me. But on camera, great chemistry
2: huh. and timing. So who is nicest to you? You said Lovitz usually tried to help you get stuff on. Lovitz is criminally underrated. He's another guy that, like, you we when you think back on the show, you think, well, okay, there's Phil, there's Dana, and then Lovitz is kind of the third banana or fourth. But there are some seasons where he actually, like, He's really right there at the top. He's extremely talented.
1: He's, I don't know what it is about him. He's very mysterious. I'm (laughs) a little bit in touch with him lately, um, texting. But he can do nothing and he makes me laugh, (laughs) doing nothing. (laughs) If he's just in a sketch, I can't take my eyes off of him and I can't figure out what it is. There's some people like that. You just can't take your eyes off of them.
0: Well, I I made a point about watching Lovitz. It might have been season fifteen, and got kind of it to your point where you can't take your eyes off him, Lovitz was wonderful at providing exactly what was needed in a sketch. Meaning, if you need him to be kind of this handsome guy, he could be a handsome guy. If you need him to be in the Girl Watchers with Hanks and have the unibrow and pretend to be a loser, he could do that. He could do something huge like uh, acting. Acting! Uh, or, you know, that's the ticket. And those are very big characters. But he could play very small too. He did this great sketch with uh, Gina Davis in which they're the last two people on, on on earth or at least you know where, where they are there's been some sort of nuclear explosion they're alone and it, this little like slice of life sketches lovitz trying to pick up his next door neighbor who is this you know gorgeous gina davis and he's just john lovitz and there's no big there's no giant laugh lines and he's not playing a massive character but he really knows exactly how to sell the lines and to create the mood needed to make that piece work. And I think the 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 real genius of I mean, you could say this about Phil, I guess too. But the genius of Lovitz was he could take whatever was on the page and make you feel it, no matter what was needed. He could bring it.
1: So he's a good actor.
0: He's a good he's actor. A, yeah, acting. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. exactly it.
2: So what was what was it like watching the show the season after you left? Were you like? Yeah. Oh, oh, I wish I was still there. Or you're like, I'm, I've had enough. It's their turn now. I'm sick of it.
1: Okay. I don't remember watching it after because I was getting married. I had a child. I was getting divorced. There was so much going on. I had a holding deal with um, Fox. And I had my own show called Victoria. And uh, George Clooney was playing my boyfriend and we, th- this is the year after I left and we were shopping it to ABC, NBC and CBS and um, they all passed on it. And um, my little joke is I wonder whatever happened to George Clooney. <laughs> uh, but um, so they were paying me like a lot of money, a holding deal. And um, so my feeling when I left the show, because they said I could stay, Lauren said she can stay as long as she wants. <laughs> but my, my my thoughts were, I'm going through a divorce. I don't believe in divorce, but it had to happen. It was a very bad situation. I had a four-year-old turning five-year-old daughter. I didn't want to leave her with a nanny. Uh, my mother babysat for a while. Um, I didn't want her to lose her dad and have me gone all the time. Uh, professionally, they weren't using me enough. Um, I was running out of ideas. I was out of ideas, actually. <laughs> um, and all my cast members were leaving. Uh, all my cast members were, were leaving too. Uh, Kevin stayed longer. And um, and now they've got that guy, Keenan who's been there forever.
2: 20 years, what? yeah. And
1: yeah, that wasn't even an option when we were there. It was like, <laughs>
2: well,
1: I'm always turning over the cast, keep it new and young. Um, yeah, it's different. It's a little different now. But I loved our cast. We were like, that. that second year we were together, it was like, boom, boom. And we were all so different and we clicked. It was great chemistry. And, uh, and, and the writers were so great, like you said. <clears throat> and my only story about Conan was like, I didn't know what he wrote. I didn't keep track of what people wrote there. But one day I lost, I didn't have any money to get home on the train to Connecticut. And I thought of all the people in this office who would I not be embarrassed asking for a couple dollars to get on the train? Mm. And I, I was embarrassed to ask anybody. I don't know why. Like, could you loan me $5? I was so embarrassed. And I remember Conan, I felt like I could ask him. <laughs> i I don't know. He seemed the most kind or gentle or down to earth or something. Like I, could relate. I don't know. I picked him. I said, could I borrow a couple dollars? That's all I remember.
0: VictoriaJackson.com is where to find everything Victoria Jackson, including the new uh, album, which is out When I Get to Nashville. A whole bunch of songs she's written since moving to Nashville. There it is right there. <laughs> 11 years ago. You can stream it on Amazon or buy it at VictoriaJackson.com. Other wonderful books like Lavender Hair and Is My Bow Too Big, which Victoria was very nice enough to send me after she guessed it in my SNL class last year.
1: Oh, I did? I sent yes, it to you? Yes,
0: you did. It was very nice. And so, uh, and so please visit victoriajackson.com. Um, I wanted to maybe end with with this question, looking forward a bit. So our, our, our podcast is called Wasn't That Special? 50 Years of SNL. 50 Years is coming up in 2025. If you get an invite to the big shindig, do you want to go back? Do you want to see people again?
1: Yes, I do. I would love to go to the 50th reunion. Yeah,
2: you I deserve would. to. Yeah, you were a absolutely. major major part of the show during the best. I mean, we rank every cast, and so far your cast has has been the best, even better <laughs> than the original. So, um, and you were a big part always- of that.
1: I always want to go up to Lauren and look in his face and say, "Lauren, thank you so much for giving me the best job. And it's changed my whole life. Not a day goes by that SNL doesn't come up in some way. And, and um, I told Paul Simon that at the 40th reunion. Mm. I think that was the one. Made it by him in the 25th. I was at both of those. I think it was the 40th. And I said, I said, Paul Simon, you're friends with Lauren. They're like friends. I said, I'll never get to be near him. You know, <laughs> could you please tell him that we are so grateful of what he did for our lives? And just tell him, I said, thank you. And Paul Simon looked at me and he said something like, oh, he's not warm and fuzzy like that. He
2: <laughs>
1: And I don't know, whatever he said gave me the impression like, Lauren could care less. You know, you're just one of the pawns in his kingdom, <laughs> uh, you know. But I have to say, when I was on a show and it was Lauren's birthday, I gave him an embroidered pillow and he sent me a really cute thank you note and said, I thought I had everything, but now I realize I was missing one thing and this is it. Thank you so much. And so I think deep in the heart of Lauren, there is a soft, loving, sweet, kind heart. And uh, yeah, I love him.
0: I'm sure he listens to this podcast, so he'll, he'll, get, get, the he'll message. get the message. That's right. No <laughs> doubt about it. Victoria Jackson, thank you so much for the time today. And uh, as Christian and I watch every single episode of SNL, we are especially thankful for your time on the show and your castmates because that was a very, very special time on SNL. And you were a big contributor to a whole lot of it. So thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much. It was really fun. Thank you.
0: And thank you for listening. If you'd like more like this, we implore you. Okay, we ask you nicely to join us at wasn't that to hear all we have to offer. You can join us on a monthly basis, save some money on an annual basis, or be an executive producer. You get extra emails from us, our thoughts on every single sketch we watch. You get also links to clips. You get a free EPUB edition of Christian's recent book. You get to tell us what to talk about, too. We'll ask you for suggestions for our shows that cover each and every season. If you are an executive producer, plus at the end of all of this, we'll do some awards, not just season by season, but for all 50 years of SNL. And if you are an executive producer, you do get to vote, along with Christian and me. So please do join us, wasn'tthatspecial.com, wasn'tthatspecial.com, and... Join us on X, formerly Twitter at 50 Years of SNL, 50 Years of SNL. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've had a great time. We'll see you next time around on Wasn't That Special.